Right before Gen Con, I had the privilege of interviewing James Vale, creator of Zas Arcala, currently on Kickstarter. He and I talked a little bit about some of his influences for the game, his history in gaming, and then, you know, of course, the game for quite a while. So uh, we hope you'll take a listen. Had a great talk with James. He was very forthcoming about his influences and his design principles. We hope you guys will enjoy it. All right, so uh, after James and I did the interview, he kind of wanted me to make sure that you guys knew sort of what page he was on in regards to some of the influences that he had cited. So he wrote up a quick disclaimer, and it goes a little something like this. It goes, quote, disclaimer, I realized that I mentioned some groups in the podcast that had some really awful shit come up when I Googled them. The frontman of Dissection, who was also a member of Temple of the Black Light, murdered a gay man in the 1990s. Another black metal guy, the musician behind Burzum, was also a murderer and recently created a racist RPG. It must be said that Zosser Kyle does not promote or support hatred of any kind, and I do not endorse these assholes in any way. End quote. So, just just be on the record, uh, James Vale's great guy at Tremendous Games is not behind any of that kind of crap. So, uh, you know, just keep that, keep that in mind going forward as we go ahead and get into the interview. Without further ado, James Vale of Zosserkawa. James, welcome at last to Full Metal RPG. It's so ha- so we're so happy to have you here, man. Yes, it's glorious. Thank you, man. Thanks Dude, for having at last, me. Uh, it's 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 been a long struggle to kind of get you on the show. Um, for the listeners who don't know, James actually hit me up a few months back when FMRPG was kind of in its little little hiatus, and he was like, hey, uh, you know, I see you have this show, I've got this game I'd like to promote, and uh, I was sort of hard to get a hold of, huh? Yeah, I mean, I hit you on Facebook, which I guess you weren't really big on, but... I mean, you eventually got back to me. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, I wasn't monitoring Facebook too closely, and then I didn't really know whether uh, we were going to continue with the podcast, to be totally honest. And so when we figured out what we wanted to do with it, um, sort of getting in touch with you and getting uh, Nightmares of the Dead Dreamers in front of some guys was high on our list. And so back there, I think on episode 36 or something, we reviewed the proto-document for Zasar Kala, um, Nightmares of Dead Dreamers, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, that was great, actually. I loved what you guys said about it, like the good and the bad. I We were so worried because when we were reviewing the game, what was really critical, we thought, was, was A, being honest about how we felt about it, but B, we wanted you to understand how enthusiastic we were for the material because the material is very exciting. And I think anybody, when they get their Kickstarters, when they have a chance to sit down and read that fiction and start getting immersed in the world of Zosser Kawa, they're going to go bonkers for this shit. In fact, there was an uh, uh, interview you did for another podcast that we'll go ahead and plug right now called uh, The Delve, right? Yeah, yeah. They, were, um, they had me on probably around the same time that I contacted you on Facebook. 
Yeah, I figured you must have been doing like a promotional cycle there. Um, and I, I so I listened to your your interview there, and if you if you type in um, James Vale, if you if you because it's hard it's hard to search them. If you type in Delve, you're gonna get a whole bunch of shit that you're. It's gonna be very difficult to find. But if you type in James Vale, if you search that on iTunes, you can get a hold of this podcast called Delve, and they kind of go through with James a lot of uh, the design elements and a lot of the world elements. And I think James gives a fucking amazing pitch for the game. And uh, you should really take a second and listen to it because it's, it's fucking baller, right? Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. But yeah, you should definitely listen to it because I do go into a lot of detail. Um, yeah. I don't know how detail we'll get with this one, but... Um, well, I kind of like to try and tread some new ground so that you're not just saying the same things you've already said a thousand times before. Yeah, yeah, so, I'd love um, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I listened to both of the, the interviews because they split it up across a two-episode arc. I listened to both of them, so we're going to try and um, talk about some different stuff. But cool. So just so our audience is kind of caught up, uh, James Vale is the writer and creator of the now-named Zosser Kala. Uh, which is currently on Kickstarter, and uh, I've pledged it. The homie Adam has pledged it. The homie Ben has pledged it. We're all very excited about this game. We're very excited to have James on to talk about it. Uh, James, why don't you go ahead and just give the guys like an elevator pitch? Like if you were if you were at a stall at a con and somebody had walked up to you and was like, "Oh, hey, this looks interesting." What would you say to them? Oh, for sure, man. Uh, actually, first, thanks for all the support and everything with the backing and all that. You guys were awesome. Uh, but as for the pitch, Zosser Kala is, uh, obviously it's a tabletop role-playing game, uh, but it emphasis on the survival horror aspect of role-playing, where it's, it's about challenging the players and um, telling this story of just like this real hardcore um, struggle to survive from you know starting off naked and building yourself up to being like a god a demigod in this world of shit <laughs> yes and and it's a it's a game that's steeped in like this really dark grim kind of magical lore am i right yeah yeah um a lot of it draws from um like satanic black metal actually uh yeah like <laughs> you so, if you so look I at take it you're a fan of satanic black metal oh fuck yeah man fuck yeah so, so lay it on me man what's the, what's the story there um all right so how do i start with that like i started looking at all this sh like ancient mesopotamian shit um because i was looking at like i was originally going to make this a sci-fi game uh where you know because you can kind of see some of the elements bled through where I wanted people to play their own character from their own world. So originally it was like, well, everyone designs their own planet and like there was a whole planet generator that I had in the early prototypes. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, like cuz like I have a simple background system now, but back then it was like 5 to 10 like it was like 7 pages of just rolling like what your planet was and shit like that. But then your planet is destroyed immediately before the game begins, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I okay. had a whole different lore along with it. Um, but in doing that, I was looking back at, like, um, 
ancient Mesopotamian religion because I was like, well, you know, we're going to go sci-fi with this. What could I use that's kind of alien to most people? Because um, I feel like ancient Mesopotamian religion isn't really explored that much. Um, I agree. But so anyway, as I was looking into it, like I realized that a lot of the music I listened to references a lot of the gods and demons and shit from ancient Mesopotamia. Like, and I listen to shit like Watain, uh, Dissection, um, Nile, um, you know, shit like that. And it's like, I'm seeing all these references. I'm like, oh, fuck. I didn't realize that they were into this. So I started looking into, like, um, the lore behind the satanic black metal. And uh, one in particular was uh, Dissection and Watain. They follow this practice called the temple of the black light or chaosophy and it's all about like how chaos is beyond the universe uh and it, it draws on ancient mesopotamia where it's like the original myths of of what they worshipped was um uh, absu which is like the uh fresh water mixed with the tiamat which was the salt water and they ended up forming the universe, basically the cosmos, um, but they are also seen as chaos. And like the gods spawned from them, and then the gods got pissed off and started like fighting against Tiamat and Absu. Like they murdered Absu, who was married to Tiamat. And Tiamat created all these demons to fight against the gods. Um, so, anyway, drawing on that, like the Temple of the Black Light views Tiamat as like the chaos ultimate um and they think that like the the concept is that chaos is free and unbound and cosmos limits you right so we are all okay. products of cosmos like we're all products of um like even our thoughts are products of this uh lawful thinking Right, we have like a cause and effect kind of thought mm -hmm. process, whereas chaos is a causal. Like there is no cause and effect in chaos; it's infinite, and it's actually truly incomprehensible to us as humans. Um, but anyway, the Temple of the Black Light wants to return everything to chaos, so they want to destroy the cosmos. So by doing that, they have to summon the eleven <laughs> anti—yeah, right. Like that—that's why a lot of them actually commit suicide because they like death is the ultimate like way to get beyond into the chaos. But anyway, <laughs> so they want to summon these eleven anti-cosmic gods called the Azeret. Um, so I don't know if you noticed, uh, but Zasarkala has a lot of references to the eleven, <laughs> like even oh. even the acronym XI. You know, <laughs> ah, excellent, excellent. I was going to, I was going to get into this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so great. Great. Yeah. So that, it really draws on that. Oh, like that's the amazing. 11 I love that so much more now. <laughs> oh, thanks man. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't even know that it really connected, but like, as I got into it, it just really all fell together and I was like, oh, that's fucking perfect. I got to use this shit. Excellent. Excellent. So <clears throat> what, one of the things that really sort of like, blows my mind and gets me revved up to play Zasarkala is this idea that you okay so 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 the 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 
primary setting, the sort of like Earth Prime of the setting is this giant wasted planet uh, where these Mesopotamian kind of like like psychic mages or whatever have kind of entombed themselves, right? Uh, sort of like vampirically feeding off of like other psychics that they have magically bound to them, right? Yeah, yeah, and, you got that. You nailed it. They're they're kind of in these in these catacomb tombs where they have where they create thought projections of other realities that they slip into so that they don't have to deal with this blasted wasteland of a planet that they've made through their own little internecine wars, right? Exactly. Yep. And and even within the boundaries of these these thought projected dimensions, entire realities, they still war with one another, right? Yeah, yeah. And so then, and then, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just wondering if you're if you're wondering about that. I mean, it's really just this concept of um, like fighting for your like your own version of reality, you know. Like, and it's really like the same concept of war in re- in our world, you know, where it's just like our way of life is this way. You're opposed to it, you know, and people fight over that for whatever reason. It's just yeah, in human nature. Dude. Right? I mean, what I think is very interesting, and you've really hit on here, is the nature of how the human mind views apocalypse, right? Like, we look at the end of the thing that we know and understand as being the end of all things. But really, it's just the end of the thing that you know and that you understand. And when you look at other non-Western religious traditions or philosophical traditions like you take for instance like the Mayans or the Aztecs or something where they talked to, they, they had this understanding that every so often the world just changes and everything shifts and what you consider to be reality is shunted out and something new is going to come in right? Yeah absolutely man like and I think that's the other part I wanted to get with like um, you being the last of your people it's like there's more to it than just oh you're just surviving like you have an entire world behind you like you are the last person from that world the last of your species you know um so there's like some weight on that survival but there's no actual way to survive so you're just like in this um like purgatory state where you're you're facing the end and um like you could try and continue with that form in some way uh and i guess that's kind of the goal of the game is to create your own reality in the end yeah that's what's so uh, interesting and compelling on some level to me is you play your character is uh essentially like a refugee from one of these dimensions that has uh folded in for whatever reason and as it has folded in you have been shunted into what you know like the prime reality where the dreamers live and being being shunted there you now have to find a way to survive right as like the last holdout of your pocket realm right yeah yeah exactly you are like i said the last of your species and um you're thrown into yeah the core reality um which is called arcala um which is based off of the mesopotamian land of the dead uh, which is just this gloomy version of reality. Oh, dude, you can't see my face right now, but I'm like, like my eyes are rolling up into the back of my head, and like, and like, and like, 
demonic ecstasy throwing up <laughs> horns this is so fuck great yeah. fuck oh, yeah, i man. can't wait oh i can't wait to play this um and and the, and the landscape that you describe is nightmarish it's a nightmarish ghoulish realm that anybody with sort of uh like a taste for hieronymus bosch or just grim dark literature of any kind is going to have it, it, it's a playground that you can build anything in am i correct yeah definitely like i do provide some example like uh civilizations and adventure sites and things like that um but I, like i've added some since you guys looked at nightmares of the dead dreamers um <laughs> i can't wait to read them yeah um but like for the most part i wanted to make a, a setting backdrop like something where gms don't feel constrained by like oh there's all this history and this uh interacts with this and if i fuck with this then i can't yeah i like i hate those settings like i get there's a place for them but that's just not the way i like to run i like to have like a a a framework for something where i can interject my stories into and like give me like a type of story or a type of setting that promotes a type of story like honestly like ravenloft ravenloft does it really well it's like okay it's gothic horror you know like that's really all you need you can run gothic horror in this dark fantasy setting you know and i wanted to capture that sort of concept where it's like okay it has a strong background for you to build like a foundation for you to build adventures off of but it doesn't have all those details where it's like if you want to try and customize it you're gonna have all this red tape right right so it's low on on canon you don't you don't there's not gonna be like a big source book in the future that where there it explains all the wars between the dreamers or anything like that it's it's gonna be like an open world that we get to play with to suit our needs yeah definitely i mean i do plan on adding a lot of content to it but mostly in the form of um like just adventures really um or like adventure sites um that sounds fun yeah because i want to have like little like micro settings um like uh, there's an adventure included in the book right now um that's just like it's a labyrinth you know you're trying to escape it's where you wake up um but i want to add another i'm hoping to reach the kicks the uh the stretch goal on kickstarter to add this in um but just to have like these site-based adventures where it's like micro settings that can spawn tons of plot hooks um serve as like an entire campaign just in those those pockets um and then like the world itself though like there you can't really (laughs) i don't know if i could get away with writing all those like huge canon source books because you know other dimensions bleed in and those dimensions are practically of the character's creation or of the player's creation so i mean it would change based on your play group and i mean even the world itself is like i couldn't do a map of the world because it's changing constantly from all that like interdimensional interference Mm -hmm. um it's kind of like i've treated it like a mega dungeon where yeah you know like sure you have this area and it's like an outdoor area but to get out of that area like you're gonna have to cross these chasms and uh, labyrinths and all sorts of shit in the way it's not like well here's the plains and here's the mountains and (laughs) you know 
it's more of like a hellscape. Yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I think that some of these references that you're talking about, kind of like um, Ravenloft in particular, which always had that feeling of kind of like melancholy alienation where you had been like kidnapped from your your home plane and you're like stuck here on Ravenloft and you're never going to be able to get the fuck out. And Ravenloft is a terrible fucking place where you're like trying to survive constantly. I think that people who have experienced those themes will probably read your game and really relate, right? Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean... One hopes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know I, I was somehow influenced by Ravenloft. <laughs> well, why don't you tell me about some of your other influences? Like, how long, how, how long have you been gaming, just in your life? Um, let's see. I mean, I grew up playing video games. Um, and we used to actually, like, when we first heard about tabletop RPGs, I was probably, like, 12 years old. Sure, that's a good age for it. And um, we knew nothing about, like, the rules or any of that. All we knew was that we found the Dungeons and Dragons online dice roller, and we, like we sat there one night and we just like we made up our own rules and we did like popcorn GMing, where like I'd start telling a story and then I'd get to a cool like critical part and then the next guy would start telling the story, and like we didn't have rules we just used the yes. dice like oh well if you roll ten or higher you succeed. <laughs> yeah exactly Which, i think i think a lot of people get started with that unless you have someone to show you right yeah and you know honestly like i felt like i wanted to get back to that get to to that feeling because once i started getting into games like dark heresy and D and like the real crunch heavy games like i appreciated all that crunchiness but at the same time it took away a lot of that like just telling the story yeah you know and it was like why can't we just get back to that like okay you roll the dice to figure out what happens you know you don't really mm. need all that crunch yeah yeah I, I know what you mean man i think that um those heady days of early childhood gaming are are so fun and then we spend a lot of time kind of trying to figure out how to get back there right yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, like, so I grew up with video games, and, you know, like, I see video games now and how they've drawn so much from tabletop RPGs. Yeah. And looking at, like, tabletop, tabletop games now where there is, like, this um, push in the narrative direction, and then there's, like, the o- OSR direction where it's like, well, let's keep some of the crunch. Um and it's like, well, if you look at where video games drew from all that, like the computer takes care of all the crunch, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like back before we had computer games that could do that, like playing that at a table was great. You know, you could, you could really simulate all these little things. But now that we have computer games to do that, like I don't really see, like I, I feel like embracing the difference between the two genres or the two mediums. You know, like embrace that video games can do all those calculations and have complex systems and embrace that at a table, you have a human mind that doesn't need to be pre-programmed. You know, you can just figure it out, figure out what's reasonable, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, I am totally down, man. And I think that that's such a great premise for you to be working from as a game designer. Um, So... So tell me, what are your favorite games? Like, of the games that you enjoy to play yourself, what are your favorites? Um, hmm. You know, honestly, I really... 
despite its flaws, I actually really liked Dark Heresy. Or actually, I'd say only War. Really? Yeah. Wow. Now, are, do you play the <laughs> tabletop uh, miniatures game as well, or do you just limit no, yourself to the no. RPGs? Um, I actually never really knew about 40K. Like, I knew of its existence because of, like, the crossover video games, and I had a few friends that did, um, like, 40K, like the armies and everything. Um, yeah. But I never bothered with it because I always saw how much it costed. <laughs> oh my god, dude! And it's like it's a curse. Yeah, it's the same reason I never got into like Magic the Gathering because I was just like, oh, all that money that <laughs> yeah. just to play this. Like, uh, I'll pass on that. Um, but yeah, I started playing Dark Heresy just randomly. Um, someone invited me over to play it, and I fucking fell in love with the the setting, the lore. And, like, I played the game for a while, and then just, oh, my God, it was so flawed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then when Only War came out, like, because I played the others. I played Black Crusade, um, Rogue Trader. um, Actually, I didn't play Death Watch, because it seemed kind of boring. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know why they made that game. Yeah, I don't know, man. It just seems like... Like, especially since they use the Dark Heresy system, which is percentile based, mm-hmm. and like you're you're set to be fucked, and <laughs> then you put that in Death Watch, where you're gonna use that same system. Like that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I feel um, you. But no, I actually I really liked Only War, um, even what though was it was about very Only crunchy. War that you, what, what was it about Only War that you really liked? Um, hmm. Well, I had a good G, uh, a good GM. <laughs> okay okay so you were, um, you were playing you were yeah playing actually i played only more i didn't run it um okay yeah i just i had a really good gm that really took it like he took that narrative aspect that i'm talking about and mm-hmm. made it work in that system like even though that the game was very like well you need three degrees of success blah 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 that sort of thing uh but he made it work and i i really enjoyed it um Especially, like, since I came from, like, Dungeons & Dragons, seeing that, I was like, this is this is awesome. I want to try and improve on this. And uh, that's actually when I started game design, really. Okay, great. So tell us about that. Like, um, because, because what I learned earlier was that you started uh, Nightmares of the Dead Dreamers, Zasarkawa, as a D&D campaign. Is that right? Yeah, sort of. Um, like, I was just hacking the hell out of uh, D&D 3.5. Okay. Like, like, I even turned it into percentile-based. Like, <laughs> Wow, to make it more like Dark Heresy? Yeah, yeah. Because I wanted no to kidding. have more of a gritty feeling. Like, I changed the way armor worked. Like, I really, like I said, I hacked the hell out of it. And it got to a certain point where I was like, oh, I want to have, like, degrees of success and degrees of failure. And I was like, you know what? This, this framework that i'm using just really is not going to work for me (laughs) so i was like fuck it you know why don't i just make my own mechanic for it and that's when i started looking into well a d10 is basically a percentile and you know that's when i came up with the strain system whereas like you know it's player facing like the uh, percentile system you know where you have to roll against your stress score and like that stress score came from just this idea where I wanted the game to get harder as you pressed your luck. Like, actually, similar to how Dark Heresy had the um, 
like the psyker abilities where you know you would press to like overbleed and shit like that <laughs> um R- and I risk, really risk a little like 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 bet a, bet a little to get a lot and maybe it goes horribly wrong yeah exactly like i really wanted that where you have this risk reward where it's all on you you know as a player um and then that stress score increases based on that and it's all player facing so the gm like another big reason i did that was because i'm like okay well this is gonna be a hard game you know i want it to be like player deaths or player character deaths not player deaths (laughs) but player (laughs) character deaths um you know are commonplace or at least very a a very real threat um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so so is part of the design that you go through a couple characters while you're playing, or is part of the campaign? Like, I mean, that's, that's something I really want to know. Is it how how long is a campaign? Am I supposed to play as a one shot? Am I playing for a few sessions? Am I supposed to be playing for years? If I'm playing for years, how many characters am I going through? What 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 do you think? So, I mean, I I've seen a lot of people run it as one shots. Um, the people that have shown it to have all run as one shots, but I try and run it as campaigns where the survivors of the session, you know, they gain experience, they can become more powerful so that that next session, um, they're a little better for wear. And, um, ideally I'd want the game to be played for several months, you know, to have a full, like a full campaign. I mean, shit, if you could play it for years, that'd be great. (laughs) But, I mean, I do want that, like, slow buildup of power. Like, I really didn't like how some games, how, like, where you just start off with this powerful character. Or I wanted a buildup to that, where you start off pretty shitty, and it's very rewarding uh, to to reach those points of power. Um, so, like, even with the magic system, it takes a lot to actually learn the magic in the game. You have to find the artifacts, you have to study the artifacts, and then you have to enter your mindscape and uh, basically go into another dimension, solve the puzzles, the riddles there, the combat there, you know, all of that, and then you unlock that psychic ability. Um, And there's five different psychic abilities that you can unlock. So it's like a long process to get there, but in the end, you're a fucking demigod. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You, you you stated previously that one of the goals that, that a player could have as like a refugee from one of these destroyed dimensions, because it's kind of interesting that there's this kind of uh, a, a little bit of a mystery element in the game, right? Because like one of the things that as, as a character that you're going to be doing is you're going to be kind of puzzling out the nature of your own existence, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, like... Um when I first wrote uh, like Nightmares of the Dead Dreamers with the uh, fragmented lore, those vignettes of the story at the beginning, and I put that at the front of the book, I put that in there with the mindset that, okay, players who are not going to be jamming this, uh, if they happen to read through that, they won't get a full picture of what this world is. Right. Um, they'll just get like an idea of the theme and the tone. Uh, but the, 
like so going with that idea where the players have to puzzle it together the characters really don't know where they're at and they have to figure out what's going on oh that's so deep in the survival horror right there that is going to be that i mean I, I really think that this game will will work as a long-term campaign because there's just so much your characters have to do to like establish their identities establish safety and then once they've met those very bottom thresholds of maslow's hierarchy of needs only then will they be able to do anything beyond that in terms of expanding their own power or or reaching the utmost levels of playability in a certain way right yeah yeah exactly i mean the way i look at the structure of the campaign it goes like okay you start off in the labyrinth that you know is just this uh survival horror like hardcore like that's where you're gonna suffer a ton of character deaths like last week i ran a session and i had uh three out of four characters die oh my god in the first <laughs> session yeah yeah oh um, jesus that is so brutal yeah uh, and it's funny because none of them were upset about it they all knew that it was because they fucked up <laughs> like and i think that like i was saying uh, the reason i designed the system was so it's not the gm's fault so it is player facing so you know like when you die it's like oh well i fucked up Instead of being mad at the GM, like, oh, why'd you put that encounter there? That's fucked up of you. You know, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, the structure of the campaign starts off where it's like, okay, you have to survive and get out of that labyrinth. And then once you're out of there, then it's like, okay, well, now I have to s- establish shelter, um, get food, get water, um, you know, that sort of thing. And then once I've established that, then I can start working on exploring a bit and going out and um, seeing what's in the area and maybe even build up more or interact with like the tribes, the local tribes, which could be hostile or could be, I mean, that could be a whole thing right there, just trying to become friendly with one of the tribes um, and like trading with them and stuff. Um, Or you could be threatened by them the whole time (laughs) Um, or you, you know, or you can try and tr- attract survi- more survivors to your settlement and or your shelter and create a settlement. And then, yeah, once you've built that up, then you can really start going forth into the world. And um, then it becomes a whole different thing where it's like, okay, there are labyrinths that you can explore. And obviously they're lucrative. You can find artifacts and um, magic items and things like that. Um, but, but there's also the civilizations, which, I mean, they're there for a very particular reason. One, like they're very, um, a lot of them are very xenophobic. So like getting in there would be kind of a problem. Um, but some of them, at least in the example, uh, civilizations I give, like they try and draw you in and try and get you to start worshiping their, uh, dreamer, you know, their psychic, their architect. <laughs> so that they, they want you to buy into this whole thing. Yeah, like they want you to become one of them. And, you know, they'll be okay with outsiders coming in, but you have to bow to the king or you have to bow to the queen. And, like, some of them even have, like, psychics that will read your mind to tell if you're going, if you're being heretical or not. Um, so even there, like, in, when you're in that situation, it's kind of like this tense um like still you have that horror bleeding through 
Yeah, yeah. There's the you you are surrounded by enemies. You have no you have no quarter here. Am I right? Yeah, it feels exactly, that way. exactly. Uh, yes, it seems to me based on what I've seen on the Kickstarter, like this game has been very extensively vetted. Am I right? Yeah, it seems yeah. Like I mean, you've really done a lot of due diligence on um on playtesting it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, shit, I've been playtesting it for last two years i guess (laughs) oh my god so when when did you write it when did you start out writing it um i'm gonna say four years ago i started writing it um but like i said back then it was still (laughs) sci-fi well i mean even some of the like primordial fantasy games have this big sci-fi element and if you read like a lot of michael moorcock and stuff like that the fantasy and the sci-fi just bleed together so those two elements like together in this game don't bother me at all. I think that they really contribute to the like, the rich history of the of of role playing and the like people who understand that material will get it. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially like the weird OSR kind of uh things that you see coming out now. Yeah, totally. Totally. So so you started writing it about 4 years ago and you've been playtesting it for 2. What what's kind of gone into that process of of the writing and the playtesting and the revisions? Like and 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 really like how, how did you playtest it? Like how how many playtest sessions do you think you've done and how many groups do you think have played this game? Oh man. How many groups? Um shit. I'm going to I'm going to say probably about 6 groups. Um, but obviously with like interchangeable, um, like some have bled over into other groups, some players, Mm. I mean, um, but in terms of like the writing and the stress testing and all that, like I, I try and stress test everything that I write for it myself. Like I will, I'll come up with an idea, I'll write it down and then I'll try and think of every way to break it. (laughs) Like it's like, okay, well would that work if I did this? And I think like going into game design, you have to have that mentality because if you just like write an idea and don't think about the repercussions of it, um, which honestly I've done, (laughs) I've done a few times. Um, I think everybody's done it. It's just the guys who publish it that you kind of have to sit there dumbfounded by right yeah really it's so how does this get past you yeah exactly because it's like you have like you're you're professional (laughs) like you you should be stress testing the hell out of this like um like i said like i'll come up with an idea and i won't set that in stone until i've given it at least like a month of thought where it's like just thinking, okay, can it be used this way? Like I'll be going to sleep at night thinking, oh, can I use it this way or would that break it? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a guy in your playtesting circle who's like one of those guys who can oh, read yeah. something and be yeah. like, who's that? Um, well, actually, I did. Uh, unfortunately, he passed. Uh, oh, but, dude, I'm sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, he was actually the owner of a friendly local gaming store. Um, and he... Like he loved like Call of Cthulhu and that sort of thing, but he would always just break whatever I had <laughs> intentionally, yeah. intentionally, and it was great because it was like it made me see how it was supposed to be used, like you know from my perspective, and then how someone could use it. Mm-hmm. And um, like actually, there was there was a few other situations where I had written something where I thought had one practi- practical use. But then the players got a hold of it and 
found another way to use it that I had never even considered. What what does that feel like when you witness that? Oh, it's amazing. It's really, yeah, yeah it's kind of like, damn, I wish I had thought about that. But at the same time, <laughs> it's like, that's the beauty of this tabletop genre, like this tabletop medium, where it's like, you can manipulate these things. You can make it your own. And like the, just that interpretation thing like is really satisfying to me um like that's why i plan on making like the strain rules as creative commons because it's like i want people to build off of it and actually i've already had um like one of the kickstarter backers he made a solo playset using it which i had never really considered it being solo and people kept asking me like oh can i play this solo i'm like no it's meant to be played with the gm and then this guy, he just goes and says, oh, this is perfect for Solo. Here are the rules for it. <laughs> I, I saw that on your uh, G Plus group, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, I mean, to me, to me, like one-on-one gaming is kind of like, uh, kind of like fringe enough activity. I, I'm a get five guys plus one GM and let's do this thing. And when I say guys, I mean people. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for using that, that type of language. But, um... Yeah, the idea of just like uh, sitting at home by yourself and like playing the game by rolling dice, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it never occurred to me because it didn't interest me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to give it a shot. Like, I want to try it out and see how it works and see what that's oh, actually yeah. like. Um, <laughs> so have yeah, you played just... in the game? Have you had people run it for you? No, but I've seen people run it. And that's also another good source of insight you know to see uh how the gm interprets the rules Mm. um but that that's uh i've only seen that twice but it was good i mean they ran it well and they had never played in it so um that says to me that the rules are written in a way that's universal enough to where you know if you play in the game it's gonna be the game no matter what yeah (laughs) yeah um, the, the play experience is not going to vary radically based on geography, like who's running it for you. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh man, how many times have I seen games that are played differently in every group? You know, like even just taking the example of the D&D game I was running, like I hacked the hell out of that system, so I couldn't even call it D&D anymore. <laughs> well, I think that you that's know? really great that you did, because I mean, it's very bold. I think I think that says a lot about you as a designer that you picked up Dungeons and Dragons, especially a weighty system-heavy kind of game. But three point five is that's like getting under the hood of like a Ferrari or something, you know? Like first time out, there's so much stuff going on in there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I have this um, like I have this obsession with all these like little systems that interact with each other, um, like. Like I was telling you earlier, I, I love playing Path of Exile, the, you know, this video game where it's just all these skills, like it has a thousand skills on its skill tree, and each one interacts with the rules a different way. Like, I just, I like seeing things that way. So, like, I even drew some of that design into the character advancement of Zasarkala, where, mm-hmm. like, some of the things that you take have double-sided um, aspects to them, where it's like... Uh, you can increase your chance to dodge, but armor will no longer give you a bonus. Um, and like that could be synergized with something else in the system that's like, well, this will give you a plus one to your dodge, um, 
but it weighs this much bulk, you know, like things like that. Um, and I, I have, I guess, a knack for seeing things like that, like really looking at the big picture and seeing how they all interact. Some people have that touch, and they're very fortunate. I envy you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's great for Warhammer. If you ever start playing that game, oh, man, that's that's how you win that game. I wanted to ask you, so I think one of the things that sort of stand out about the product, at least the iteration of it that I saw and then that I saw in the Kickstarter, is, first of all, the creative writing aspect on it is just on point. The, the 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 flavor writing that you did is just just brilliant so and 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 then the art when you when you're going through the book the art's amazing it's very evocative it's very consistent and then when I saw the Kickstarter and it was your first Kickstarter and like the little subject headings all just felt right and they and they were the graphic design on them was, I thought, really great, very pro and top-notch. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about, like, sort of, like, what your background is in art and in writing and design? Do you have, like, a lot of training? How long have you been doing it? Do you have no training? What, what where, where are you coming from? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks, man. That's very flattering. Um, uh, but, yeah, like, my training, uh, it's kind of awkward. I went to an art school. Um, for like three weeks. <laughs> um, and then like I, I was studying um, like classical painting, like uh, just traditional painting. Is, is this uh, after high school? Yeah, yeah. This- so okay. actually, so I grew up like drawing like doodles and, you know, just copying things. Like actually, sure. like uh, just if I liked a drawing, I would copy it or I would trace it. And... This could be actually be a little art lesson right here. Like if you want to draw something, the best way to do it is to copy, like trace it, then copy it, and then try and draw it from memory. And mm. that's really how I started drawing my whole life. And um, I got into high school, and um, I like I got kicked out and went to like a secondary school. But it was kind of a blessing in disguise because they had uh, an art class there with no one in it like three students so my oh art my teacher God. was able to spend a ton of time with each of us and really develop us S- since i had already been drawing my whole life i kind of took to it and that art teacher was like you know you should really go for this summer school program at this college at cal arts i was like yeah sure i'll try it and i submitted my portfolio they took me in um and that was a pretty awesome experience getting to hang out with all these other artists that are just amazing and like wow just is that the one that's in pasadena yeah yeah oh wow that's that that is a prestigious institution is it not yeah definitely and like everyone like there were people there from all around the world like um there's like this girl from bulgaria like there is people from all across the country um and i was living in san diego so it wasn't that far for me but you know just seeing all these people that were so talented it was really incredible because, you know, you get to see them paint right in front of you and you can ask them questions and they can give you advice. And it's like, I feel like I learned so much more there from anywhere else. Awesome. Um, you know, just being around them. Uh, but then, like, after I got kicked out, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just I went to a community college and just took a bunch of, like, life drawing and uh, dynamic figure drawing classes. Um, so that's really where my background's at, just being able to draw quickly, like draw um, 
you know, life drawing is all about being able to draw an entire figure in, you know, less than an hour with all the details. So I, I learned how to draw quickly with that. So I have like this sketchy style and then like really just the, the concept of dynamic figures where you think of shapes instead of like, like, uh, instead of what you see, you have to think of it as a form, like more of like 3d objects. Um, and that really just helps with like getting the lighting right and getting the shading right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's really my background with it. I guess my influences to where I got like this dark style would really be like Zetislav Biskinsky. I, yes. I can't even pronounce his name, <laughs> but yeah, him, uh, I, I would say Geiger, but I don't really draw a lot from him. I just more so admire it. <laughs> sure, sure. But yeah, I think like just that in that vein of Bixensi, I, th- I think he'd be one of my largest influences. I think you can feel that in the work. The sort of oppressive alienness of the work really is communicated. Yeah, man. Oh, uh, that's the other one. Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah de- definitely. Definitely. Um, and what about writing? How did you learn to write so well? You do a lot of writing? Honestly, thank you. I didn't think I did that great. <laughs> no, um, man. Uh, Adam and I, we're, look, man, we've been reading a lot of vampire. For, when you read those vampire books, they always have a bunch of fiction in them. And they're always terrible. <laughs> they're just ghastly. Yeah, yeah and I tried. And when you and I got together over uh, over Dreamers, we were just like, can you believe this shit? This shit's good. I mean, this is like a real horror novel in a game. I mean, that's unheard of. Oh, shit, man. Thanks. Yeah, um, I don't know. I just, I read, um, and I write like I read. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. What are you reading? What's the what's the thing to read? If you, if, if you said to our listeners, one thing, go out and read this to, to expand your mind horror style, what would it be? Oh, shit, dude. The Road. The Road. That's one of my biggest <sighs> influences for the game in the first place. Yes. Oh, such a great book. Damn. Yeah, yeah awesome. Cormac okay. McCarthy's amazing. So, and yes, then that book yes. itself has so much to it. Like, it's just, I could talk about it forever, <laughs> but yeah, just read, <laughs> read the road. It's amazing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're getting a little bit, we're, we're, we're running low on time. So I guess I just, I have two more questions for you, then we'll let you go. All right. Um, first one I want to ask you is, uh, the Kickstarter has gone great. Uh, you funded in something like three days, right? I mean, it went yeah. super fast. Yeah, right? way faster than I thought. Like, I put it for 40 days thinking, oh, I'm going to have to promote the whole time. Like, <laughs> I'm barely going to make it. <laughs> and it hit in two days, and I'm like, oh, shit. <sighs> well, oh, that's I awesome. guess I better get to work on, <laughs> like, material then. <laughs> yes, yes, because uh, we're all stoked to get the book. Um, so if there's anything you want to say out there to people, because I think we get a lot of, like, independent designers, and we get a lot of sort of, like, aspiring game designers listen to the show is there anything you want to tell them about launching a kickstarter about about being successful in a kickstarter um hmm. i i wish i could give a ton of advice but i'm still new to it and i feel like i kind of got lucky with it but i think the one of the biggest things that worked for it was just the simple uh presentation of it and the the way it stood out against the other things that were there on kickstarter so i think um, like I go back to this lesson that I read about with marketing um, and there was this guy who's talking about how marketing for restaurants is really hard um, because you know restaurants open and close and no one hears about it so how do you market a restaurant 
And so he came up with this idea, well, why don't we make a $100 Philly cheesesteak? You know, and come on, who's going to pay $100 for a Philly cheesesteak? Yeah. It doesn't matter. It became a conversation piece and people were talking about it, you know, and that that brought that restaurant into the minds of everyone. So, like, I think drawing from that, like, just having something that stands out that becomes a conversation piece, you know, or, um, and has, like, a very simple presentation, like, just something that communicates everything you need to know, or, you know, just the, the, the minimal amount that you need to know in as few words as possible. You know, you can always find out more about something later. You know, you'd rather give someone, you know, you'd rather give someone enough information for them to want more information than to just give them all the information. Yes. Okay. That's great. That's great. Would you, could you recommend that book to, to our listeners? Do you remember it off the top of your head? The title? Um, I don't remember the marketing book, um, but there is one about communication and that would be, uh, you've got eight seconds. Ah, eight seconds. That's a good one. That definitely helped with the, um, you know, cutting down on what, people need to know <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know instead of saying so much just say what people want you know address them address them for why they should care awesome that is great advice that's great advice man you're already helping people out i know that you are awesome i hope it does help <laughs> so so last question okay and uh i know that uh Zazarkawa is the flagship game of uh atramentus is am i saying that right yeah atramentus yeah and this is this is your uh publishing brand this is your label yeah um the web page is uh atramentusgames.com is that correct yeah that's right and i highly recommend our listeners go check it out because i checked it out the other day and it's beautiful it's gorgeous. It's a really fun experience if you're into grim dark, if you're into if you're into metal, if you kind of want to get your head into that zone, explore the game a little bit. The page itself is very well put together. Again, it wasn't what I was expecting. Very well put together. Oh, thank um, you. Actually, I have to thank my wife for that. She did pretty much all of that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's it's great. It's really great, and it's very immersive and fun. Well, here's the thing about game web pages: is most of them are shit, and so I was expecting to go on there and find kind of like a WordPress thing that was like, "Hey, buy my book," and instead it was this very immersive experience. And I was like, "This guy, what does he do badly? Like nothing." <laughs> um, so, so my last question is: uh, since since this is the flagship for Atramentus, what can we look forward to in the future? Do you have new projects in the works for Atramentus? Do you think that in the future you'll be soliciting other works? Um, do you have more games that are already kind of percolating in your head that you want to do? What do you think? Um, yeah, so like I mentioned, I'm definitely going to add more for Zasarkawa, like write more adventures, like those um, like foundation-style adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely coming. Uh, aside from that, of course, I have ideas running through my mind. I have this obsession with historical whaling. So I'm going to write this. Oh my God. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we went to uh, a whaling museum last month. Like, uh, like I read Moby Dick. Like I love this shit, man. I love I, for whatever reason, like I love whales. So don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating killing whales, 
but just that historical wailing like man versus nature yeah uh, that yeah. like there's this also i'm terrified of the ocean so that could also play into it <laughs> but i want to write yeah but i want to write a game that like captures that feeling of being on this ship out in the middle of the ocean where there's these sea creatures not necessarily whales but just these deep sea creatures that can fuck you up and destroy your ship and your only lifeline is that ship so i want to try and write something about that i have a few ideas already going through my mind with it uh, and then i have a few other ideas one with my wife we're going to write like a new retro wave style game that's like cyberpunk um uh like cyberpunk 80s style <laughs> uh, that dude okay those both sounded amazing can't wait can't wait for thanks, both of them man. thanks those are some games to be on the lookout for i'm especially excited about that whaling game that sounds fucking amazing fuck yeah man um <laughs> james i just want to take a second and say thanks for coming out man thanks for making the time and uh kind of going through the 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 jumping through the hoops of setting up for the podcast and uh taking the time to to join us tonight thank you man Dude, Brandon, thank you. Honestly, like, thank you for all the promotion you've done and all the, like, just reviewing Nightmares of the Dead Dreamers in the first place on just, like, this cold, like, uh, you know, me just saying, hey, I have this game, check it out. <laughs> and but you did it. Was, it, it, was it was great. So thank you, man. Dude, and thank, it's... thank you to Adam and uh, uh, everyone at Full Metal RPG. You guys are awesome. Dude, it's been our pleasure. It's really been our pleasure to be part of what's been going on with you, and we're all very happy for you and very excited for the game as it as it matures and grows and has been so successful. Um, it's just been really great to, to even sort of be a footnote in all of that. We hope that you'll come on again soon. Fuck yeah, man. Definitely. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to the latest episode of Full Metal RPG. It's been really fun to put together. We want to say thanks to James. Look for a link to the Kickstarter for Zazarkawa in the show notes. Look forward to a good chunk of Gen Con coverage coming up here soon as Adam and I get together and we uh, really sift through those ashes and get into what exactly it was we got up to We'll be having that coming to you shortly. Thanks again for listening, guys. And have a great day.